The views expressed in this podcast are those of individuals and do not reflect those of the U.S. government, the Peace Corps, or the government of Panama. Hello, my name is Dan Lipkowitz and welcome to the Peace Corps Panama Files. In this podcast miniseries, each week I will be interviewing a different volunteer who is finishing up their Peace Corps service in Panama. We'll talk about where they come from, what led them to join the Peace Corps, and with each guest I'll tackle a different fundamental aspect of serving as a volunteer in Panama. We'll delve into what has been enlightening, difficult, and downright strange as they've navigated the cultural and professional journey of serving as a volunteer over the past two years. This week, I was lucky enough to be joined by a very close friend of mine and an incredibly thoughtful volunteer, Nick Cavello. Nick and I had a fantastic conversation about how a deep sense of service set him on a path from Grand Rapids, Michigan to his community of Los Choros, where there's been an exceptional pairing of an individual and village that both exude virtues of positivity and inclusivity. Examining whether the similar qualities of Nick and Los Choros share analogous origins, we ended up talking about how family, friendships, and particularly the male bond shape our understanding of and confidence in ourselves. We explored this idea in the context of our own experience as volunteers encountering difficulty and failure, and also from the perspective of our community members and the deep network of support that arises from a small, rustic atmosphere. The positive and negative complexities of a locally focused outlook are myriad, but Nick and I attempted to breach this dialogue and share some of our daily thoughts and feelings with you, our listeners. Mm. Sloths. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Sounds uh, of Sloths. Sounds <laughs> of Sloths. An intense discussion of the sounds and the reasons behind the sounds of sloths. I was expecting coming down here to see like sloths everywhere. They were hyped up a lot. I mean, I've seen like my fair share of sloths, but I was expecting. And be like, sloths are gonna be, <laughs> sloths are gonna be all up in your back. <laughs> You're gonna have one on your back and not even know it. Fair. All right, let's get into this. I am joined here today by, I think, I don't think I have to hesitate to say, my closest friend down here in Panama, Mr. Nick Cavello. Well, I appreciate that. And <laughs> it is mutual. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Oh, I, I usually ask, my first question is, what's your middle name? My middle, middle name is Charles. So, Nicholas Charles Cavello. After my father. I don't know why he did that. He's I, a great man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Nick, tell us a little bit about your community. Uh, here in Panama, Los Choritos, where is it? Uh, what's it like? Give us the lowdown on it. Okay. Los Choros is a small rural town in the Panamanian countryside, pretty close to Lago Gatun, which is part of the Panama Canal um, watershed, or water system, I should say. Um, about 300 people. Um, Located next to an next to a river that feeds into the into the lake, and that's how it's got its name, Los Charles, the waterfalls. And most people coffee farm and raise cattle. Yeah, and there are I mean, there's some beautiful waterfalls out there. 
I, I really like how a lot of the communities here are uh, founded on rivers and that we can go out to a hot day, go swimming, and also, you know, get to appreciate the natural beauty of them. I think that we're, we're definitely uh, privileged in that sense that all of our communities have, have rivers really close by. Yeah, I think we are. Um, the little hidden treasures out there both to look at and to play in. Yeah, I think also that it's it's great that they provide uh, kind of a communal space for the communities as well, especially during the summer. You have lots of people go out to the river uh, to hang out there, which is really cool. That is nice. Um, they, uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say that they also serve as, like, usually there's still, like, forested areas around them, so it kind of, it's, when I go to those spaces, I feel like um, they're similar to what I thought Panama was going to be like before I got here. <laughs> <laughs> Just the deep romanticized jungle aspect uh, of it. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also come from uh, a, near a body of water. That is correct. Affectionately known as America's third coast to you. (laughs) (laughs) Some say. Maybe just I say. Um, So tell us a little about home. Uh, Where in the United States are you from? What's your town like? What's your family like there? Probably from Grand Rapids, Michigan. More specifically, the west side. Um, Grew up with my sister and my parents. Um... We always had a dog around, um, which was a key part of the family. And but, but the family felt bigger than that because all my aunts and uncles, cousins, and grandparents live really close to us. Um, so yeah, grew up on, and Grand Rapids is kind of a middle-sized city, mm-hmm. but growing, nice place to be. Yeah. Uh, and I want to I wanna get back to your discussing your, your community back home uh, in a little bit. But first, just something that I've recognized in seeing you here in Panama is uh, your community of Los Choritos seems to uh, mix quite well with you temperamentally in that when we came down here uh, to Panama, even before we knew what our, where our communities were going to be, I recognize that you're you're a really nice guy, you're really jovial, super friendly, but you're also always incredibly welcoming. You're you're smart, you're super active, you're both in our training and then also now in your community, you get involved in all types of stuff. Um, so you essentially had your pick of who you wanted to be friends with, who you wanted to connect with, but you always try and incorporate other people. And I, I've been very appreciative of that and also very impressed by that. And then when I first came to Los Choritos, I kind of recognized those same characteristics. Um, and your, your people, your gente, and your community are always really, they're really jovial, they're super friendly, they love to joke around, but they're always incredibly welcoming, always inviting people uh, into, into activities, to, to certain events. And I think that one thing that's really cool about our experience down here is even though our communities are geographically really close, communities have their own specific sort of vibe to them. <laughs> um, and I just feel, I don't know if you've, if you've recognized that 
uh, in your time in Los Chorritos, well, but it seems to me... Lavonga pride. Oh, my <laughs> Lavonga, we have our own pride for sure. The, the chant Viva Lavonga is often heard across the mountains. Um, but I don't know if you if you uh, if that resonates with you at all that you guys kind of have the same sort of temperament. Well, I appreciate the compliments, and um, I think we it was a great pairing, and I'm very appreciative of where I was placed. I think, yeah, Los Choros and where I'm from in Grand Rapids have a lot in common. They also have very similar names, oddly. That didn't even occur to me right now. But that's true. It's very the waterfalls true. and the Grand Rapids. Wow. Yes, exactly. So there's a lot of, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some religious aspects going on, close families, generations growing growing up in the same place, which is the same thing as the west side of Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. But, go ahead. I don't know. I was just going to say, for example, I know also that you back home have always been involved in sports, and that's a big thing down here. Um, and as I said, I recently I went to a Matanza and your community was there. Unfortunately, you weren't able to make it. Your community was there, and they immediately came up to me. Just a just an example of kind of like the generosity and the friendliness, welcoming attitude of your community. They invited me to play on their soccer team. They're just like, hey, Dan, are you going to play with us? Uh, which a lot of times, so- soccer is taken very seriously down here. <laughs> Both of us play in a pretty intense league, um, so getting on a soccer team is usually a pretty fraught process but i think we hold our own though oh no we, we do we do uh we have to <laughs> i think we have to <laughs> it's kind of uh no there's no free passes no given, so. um but they are just yeah they welcomed me right on which reminded me very much uh of you and how welcome you are oh once again i appreciate it um just calling the calling them as i see them man calling them as i see them no but uh yeah i think they were really welcoming with me, and I don't know. I like getting to know different groups and pairing pairing different people's strengths together. Mm-hmm. And I think they do some of that, and I've always prided myself on trying to do that. Yeah. So you're in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh-huh. Uh, tell us a little about the journey that takes you from there to joining the Peace Corps. Oh, wow. Well, I think... From Grand Rapids to the Peace Corps. We can start with, so you went to college. Where'd you go to college? Yeah. Okay. That I, I guess that would be, yeah, that's what I would think of as the starting point to the Peace Corps. Because Grand Rapids was, it was great. I have a lot of friends and family. We have a lot of things in common, just based on where we're from. But getting out and going to the University of Michigan... Um, was a life-changing experience for me. Mm-hmm. And I really was introduced to different types of people from different types of places, and it expanded my horizons greatly. And I guess that was kind of my first introduction to the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, Peace Corps was founded there. I didn't... I don't know if I had known too much about it before I went to the University of Michigan. Um there was definitely a presence 
And, and to this day, Michigan is one of the top Peace Corps volunteer producing schools. Exactly. So yeah. you would hear about people joining. Um, and so I think that's where the idea kind of made its way into my head, but it, it, it took some time to mature. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the five-year uh, period post-graduation until uh, I signed up. So what? Uh, here, at least. Yeah. So what? After five years post college, uh, what finally made you decide this is something that I want to do? Well, I I think five years of working back in Grand Rapids and just doing a little soul searching mm-hmm. and kind of wanting, knowing that there was more out there, just from my time uh, at university and then a little bit of traveling. I definitely had an itch for both to travel and for service, mm-hmm. and the Peace Corps paired that well together, and here I am. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that with you just because I know that we've previously had conversations about this, that there's definitely a sense of uh, service versus sense of direction. Uh, maybe that's the way that I would put it, in that you might not... I definitely experienced this when I was introduced to Peace Corps is I wasn't exactly sure what profession I wanted to follow or where I wanted to be in five, ten years. Uh So I couldn't say I'm going to go to, I don't know, journalism school or something. But I had a strong desire to serve, to, to participate in service, not just in its own right, but also kind of with the mentality of, well, if I don't know what I'm going to do, I might as well spend that time figuring it out, still still helping people out. Um, I don't know if, if you experienced that at all in your in your slow maturity <laughs> to joining the Peace Corps. I agree. Now, um, I, like you, I guess, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do yet, and I thought, what's the most... What would be like the most beneficial thing I could do for myself, I guess? The Peace Corps was kind of a selfish choice in a way. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's why I, I definitely thought that going into the Peace Corps. That I didn't know exactly what I wanted and that maybe if I took two years um, to do something where I, it sounded like it was going to be productive and it has been productive, mm-hmm. I'd not how I expected it to be, <laughs> um, but for a, a whole bunch of different reasons. But if I could take two years and serve my country, that's what I thought of, thought mm-hmm. of it as, um, that I might as well sign up to do that. And it's worked out great. I'm really happy with my choice. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think also, like, like you said, um, it's been productive, not in maybe the way that we expected, uh-huh. but also I guess that was part of the reason why we joined, was to have our expectations challenged as part of that soul-searching Absolutely. Process. Absolutely. Part of it, part of the reason why I signed up for the Peace Corps was to be challenged, and that, that Peace Corps has definitely challenged me, both mentally and physically. What, what would you say are some of the most challenging things that you've encountered down here? Challenging things I've encountered down here, 
either physically or mentally. Well, well, definitely physically being sick and being alone is a hard is hard to deal with. It's a tough combo. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess physically and mentally, they kind of they kind of mesh together. Like whenever I was. I got sick a couple of times. We should we should mention for listeners that you have been struck down with quite a few illnesses <laughs> while we've been down here. You got dengue, which was probably the most serious of the of the illnesses that struck you down here. But also yeah, you've had true. some stomach problems, uh, skin problems, some skin problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, Sometimes those it just felt like some of those things were just never getting better, and they would wear out you mentally. That you, I just never knew if I was going to be like feel normal again, <laughs> <laughs> which is hard to deal with. But then uh, other things that have been challenges is just is dealing with failure, and then often being alone and having having to deal with that with the failure, things not going your way, um, regarding projects trying to um trying to can um stimulate participation in those projects can be particularly difficult yeah absolutely i think that you you definitely hit the nail on the head with dealing with failure alone is a really tough thing and something that i think a lot of us encounter down here yeah Um, what what techniques I don't know if you've discovered any techniques to to better kind of digest that failure or what you've learned about yourself just through being put through that rigmarole. Um, techniques? I, I, I'd like to say that I did a whole bunch of writing, but I never ended up getting around <laughs> to it. But it's, in your head. You it, wrote in my tons of novels, it, man. I did, definitely, for sure. Just taking the time to reflect. And I think... Um, over the past two years, I've become much better at it and can, and I can, I can, like, uh, I notice my feelings or I can. It's easier to get into that introspective space. It just is. because we've practiced it so much. And it, 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 it's very true. Practice makes perfect. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking about practice. Yeah. On Iverson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about a game, but so I can notice when I have certain feelings, and I can target those. And if they're not the not good feelings, then I can I can start to break down why I'm feeling that way. If I'm feeling down because people didn't show up, or why didn't people show up? But, you know, and uh, I can overcome those and. Start moving on to more productive things to do. Yeah. Um, Positive thoughts. Yeah. So that kind of that idea of finding a positive space is one of the main things I want to talk about with you today, but specifically in the context of friendships. Um, And in our previous conversations, our friendship here, you've reflected on, you have have a pretty uh, tight knit community back home especially you have your your group of dudes your your friends back home that you grew up with and to this day you've maintained really strong friendships really deep connections with all of them um and i i don't know i don't know if you if you feel the same way but i definitely feel that um 
do you, do you think that that served as a bedrock for you? Uh, the, the, those friendships. And by that, I, I should specify, I mean that like, I think that a lot of times we, we say like each person tries to find their outlet for, for how they can achieve self-expression. Um, but I also think that each person tries to find an outlet for comfort and for positivity. And in, in my experience, it seems that a lot of times people not only seek out, uh, a way to express their true selves, but also seek an outlet, whether it be doing a certain activity, whether it's swimming, playing baseball, or whether it's through connections with certain people that allow them to sink into or, or achieve a comfort zone um, that reminds them of the positivity that they found in kind of their most formative years of their of their lives. I don't know if you feel that way about your friendship back home. Have they provided a kind of a stabling uh, uh, sort of? Have, have they been provided as a? Have they been a stabling factor in your life down here? Without question. Okay. Cool. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I didn't just, that I didn't just like ramble on and like. No, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I have no friends. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, but I, the bedrock is definitely my family. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say first, which I learned the hard way through um, a whole different situation. Um, where I, Anyway, that's it for a different podcast. But family, fam, family definitely comes first. Um, but you're right. I do have a whole bunch of friends from back home that have been helpful while I've been down here. Luckily enough, I've got decent communication from my in my site. Um, Nick's community does not have electricity, but using solar power, solar panels, his entire community has Wi-Fi service. Correct. Well, a portion of it, <laughs> inclu- <laughs> including in my house, which has been, I- I'd say, helpful for me. Um, I guess I'll never know uh, <laughs> what it would have been like without communication. But uh, having my friends to talk to back home, just about sports, mm-hmm. different different aspects of life that, life that aren't too serious, um, has been... I think helpful for me and uh, made my time here a lot, made my time here easier. And I haven't felt like I lost, lost friends from making the choice of coming down here, which was, which was hard to leave my, some of my friends and family behind because they didn't, I don't know if they truly understand why I came, came down here Mm -hmm. or why I would want to leave our community. Um, but family, friends, not just, I've had, uh, I have a unique group of friends that I've known for a long time since like first grade, mm-hmm. which I think is rare. And there's a whole bunch of us. I think that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you guys, it's these, really this core group of dudes has sustained itself throughout all these years that you guys are now in your mid to late 20s. Yeah, we've known each other for over 20 years now, a whole bunch of us, yeah. which is pretty amazing, I think. I think so. Um, but also I, I must say that I have, fr- uh, other friends from high school and from uni- um, university that I'm really close with too, and have been able to keep track or keep in touch with, and they've also provided a stabilizing force. Do you think, you said that when you left for the Peace Corps, you think some of your, uh, 
friends might have not understood exactly your motivation for coming down here. Do you think being able to communicate with them while you've been down here has uh, either helped you articulate why you came down here or has at least maybe had an impression on them uh, and, and now they have a better grasp of why you're serving as a Peace Corps volunteer here? I think so, yeah. Um, for some aspects in that I, ha- I, may- I haven't done as a good job explaining like the service aspect or the, the yearning to want to serve mm-hmm. and want to volunteer to help other people. But I think they have definitely understood or they can see the differences in what has transpired over the past two years between where they are and where I am. Mm-hmm. I think I think they definitely understand that I'm on this adventure and it's really exciting and doing things that you don't normally do in the United States mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And they can understand the appeal of that. Yes. And I think also just kind of like you mentioned, not to diminish the the own per like people's personal growth in the US, but it's just it's a very different type of personal growth that we're going down here. We're forced to encounter things that we wouldn't uh I'm not talking about just like snakes and <laughs> and, and sounds of slugs. <laughs> and slugs. And slugs. Uh but but just the uh the introspective challenges that we encounter are much different uh, just because of the nature of our service. There are a lot of birds flying into my house right now. Um, but yeah, so you have this close-knit group of friends. And then another thing that I've recognized that's quite common down here, in if not in Panama, at least in our uh, province and our kind of rural Region rural is such a hard word to say. <laughs> rural, um, <laughs> rural region is that much, much like you have known these friends since first grade. A lot of these guys grow up together and have known each other since they were born, and now they're in their twenties and their thirties, and they still stick together in these core groups. Um, has that? Have you recognized kind of any similarities? in those uh, close-knit groups of Panamanian guys in your community? Uh, because you've, you've integrated quite well into that group as well. I mean, uh, we spoke earlier of like sports teams and soccer teams. And, like, a lot of them play sports. You play softball, baseball, soccer with all of them. But do you recognize that same, those same qualities of kind of the male bond with them as you do with your friends back home? I think I can, I've definitely noticed similarities. Um, I haven't, I definitely have good relationships with the guys um, from Los Choros. Um, I kind of recognize, I felt, feel like I kind of recognize that I'll never be like fully integrated into their group, <laughs> much like it would be really hard to integrate yourself into the your group, friend group. My friend group <laughs> as well. Exactly. Yeah. There's just so much history there um that it's hard to overcome but i can definitely i can see similarities between the groups and then i can so that makes me able to understand a little bit better how they're thinking what they're feeling and understand their actions better um and then 
playing sports, um, which is similar among the groups. My group of friends, we've always played sports together. And then in Los Charles, they've played sports together, which is just a bonding exercise. Absolutely. Playing team sports together. Um, I enjoy it a lot. (laughs) Um, What sort of, of differences have you recognized? Differences... I've recognized they they have a family aspect to it, <laughs> for sure. And then, oh, I'm going to struggle with this. Rephrase the question. Sure. Um, what do you think are... So, so you were talking about how your group of friends from back home and the the male bond between your group of friends back home and the male bond between here, that kind of has, uh, there's a resemblance between those those two groups. And you're talking about how, I mean, I definitely agree with you that it's, because I'm, I'm quite close with the, the muchachos and the, and the men here in my community. Very that, true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite well integrated with them. But... Uh, you'll never fully be part of the group just uh-huh. because there is so much history between it. But I also think that there are some, maybe some cultural differences just between the way that we view the male bond in the U.S. and the way that we view the male bond uh, here, in, or the, that our communities view the male bond between uh, men. And you were talking about that there's a, a family aspect that somehow provides some sort of difference. Uh, what, what specifically... Uh, about the family, do you think makes those deep friendships between men here different? Well, I guess I'm I'm gonna sh- struggle to answer it still because I think it's it's something that I've never dealt with, so I don't really know what it what are the consequences of it or what it, what it influences. All I can do is recognize that there is a difference. Mm-hmm. And I guess I really haven't gotten beyond that point as to specifically what what that produces the, mm-hmm. the different the different aspects that uh, are alive here in Panama compared to the United States. Yeah, I think that I think maybe uh, just the the strong locality of it makes a makes a huge impact as well. Um, just, just in the fact that because our communities, both of our communities are, are around 300, 400 people uh-huh. and the space is confined, uh-huh. I think that that might add a different aspect to it as well. Just from, from my personal observations, it seems that these guys, they'll, they'll, they have a, a really close bond, but also they're, they're so entrenched in each other's lives maybe even more so than we are with our friends back home. And that's not, that's not saying that our, our friendships are any less deep back uh-huh. home, but just the, the day-to-day logistics of their lives are, oh, where are you working? I'm working for my best friend's uncle. And if I'm not working for my best friend's uncle, then I'm working for my other best friend's mom. And if I'm not working for that other best friend's mom, I'm working for my other like, best friend's uh, dad. So we're, they're constantly entangled in other people's lives. Maybe that's another familial familial aspect of it is because these communities are confined in these small spaces, 
even if they wanted to separate themselves. And maybe, for example, uh, I also feel like I have a tight-knit group of friends back home, but I felt comfortable and I felt like I was able to leave that for a little while. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure if logistically that's a possibility for them. Like, like, if you wanted to be, like, alone and separate yourself from your group of friends, even if it was just to gain perspective and look on it, look at that group of friends from a bit of distance, I'm not sure if that's something that they can do. I think you're correct. Um, yeah, I think the how the communities have come to be settled, they... Uh, it can be a constraining aspect for the people here in, in Panama and the, the guy culture. They, you, they are so connected and it's just a, it's a smaller place in general. Yeah. Uh, so that, um, I've run into the president twice here. Which <laughs> 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 is like, just blows my mind. And by run into the president, I mean literally have, he popped out behind a car and I almost bumped into him. Um, yeah, that hasn't happened with you and Trump yet, but you guys might have some of the same stomping grounds. It could happen. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully not. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Um, I also think, I don't know, this is something that we can, I, I haven't thought about this really comprehensively yet, but I don't know if that contributes also to the machismo uh, culture that there is here, just because there is so much that that close interwoven uh, culture here means that you're constantly in contact with people and maybe that raises tensions in certain ways that would that would uh, motivate that kind of machismo culture coming out. Raises tensions how so? I just mean in the fact that uh, if you're if everyone's always in the in the same metaphorical arena, if a, if this small community is an arena uh-huh. and you can't move outside of that to kind of explore your own uh-huh. to explore your own thing or go into some other sort of uh-huh. uh, community and uh, experiment with that, then everyone's competing to be like the king of that arena. Okay, you know, everyone's trying to because it's it's so tight knit. Everyone is trying to. Rather than being able to express your individuality through exploring other things, uh-huh. the only way to expo- express your individuality is through dominance. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I know, especially in my community, I get a sense that... So first, my community is 80% male. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of dudes. Uh, we have a lot of fun. But the women here are incredible and often are the leaders of most of, a lot of most projects that I've done here, women have been the most involved, uh, show the most leadership, and also just in like local government, in the school, the, like, the school board, in uh, the, the utilities management groups that we have here, because they got to manage aqueducts and stuff. The women are, are often the presidents and the leaders, so they're taking on former roles of leadership. So I feel like a lot of these men feel that they have to, uh, I don't know if they want to assert their masculinity uh, and they can't achieve that through formal leadership roles. So therefore (laughs) they take the route of like cultural, like I'm going to drink a beer in your face or I'm going to play a lot of soccer or assume those cultural kind of like uh, 
um, try and compete in those muchismo cultural uh, facets. To prove themselves. Yeah, to prove themselves. But I don't know, I guess back to my main question, like, do you think that that the that confining aspect of these communities contributes to the muchismo culture? Oh. And that's that's a pretty heavy question. I, it <laughs> is. I recognize. It is. Uh, I would say that's definitely a possibility, and you've got... Um, You've got me thinking. Um, I, I I have not come. I have not thought that. I have definitely thought though that the can, the come on, the, the like natural boundaries of the community, the natural boundaries that have been set up by these, by how they live close to their families, and with these tight knit tight knit group of friends, that maybe. And they don't have chances to go, they don't have a ton of opportunities to go outside of those groups. And also that's kind of looked at as being strange, which is part of the reason we're looked at as being strange because we've done exactly that. Exactly. Is leaving your friends and your family to go explore. Um, That people get stuck, stuck has a negative aspect or Negative connotations. But. Yeah, because I think they're also incredibly beneficial things to being like absolutely so dedicated to your community and being super established here. Great support system. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's that's one of the one of the best aspects. One of the most um, best. What am I trying to say? One of the most appealing aspects of the way they live. Here is um, the relationships they have with, between their family, family members, um, mm-hmm. and they overcome a lot of differences um, to help each other out yeah. and to help their neighbors out. But I, w- I was going to say that I'm not sure about them competing to be like more machismo or, or like um, more manly than the rest of their friends, but I think there's definitely conformity. Mm-hmm. So they can't get out or it's more difficult to leave their friends and family, their community, and they're stuck there and kind of forced to conform to what the, um, what the people around them are doing. That's a really good point. What their groups of friends, and maybe it can be a downward spiral where, (laughs) (laughs) where, uh, I don't know if they're competing with each other. If they know they're competing with each other, or if they just keep pushing the limits, just for <laughs> of what those traditional roles are, <laughs> exactly, or just to get like the next laugh out of your friends, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but I think it can definitely have like a gang group mentality, Sometimes, where you yeah. you won't maybe individuals won't notice like their the consequences of their actions as much mm-hmm. or their words. And, um, yeah, it, it, it becomes the norm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've recently just on a personal note been like really fascinated by like how boundaries affect culture. Uh-huh. I remember I first, like a while, a while back I read this book by this guy, Jeffrey Herbst, uh, who now I think is the, 
president of the the museum, <laughs> the news museum, museum in uh, in Washington D.C. But he wrote this book about Africa and the arbitrary boundaries that were drawn there uh-huh. during the post-colonialism uh-huh. and how that has affected kind of the the development of that entire continent of Africa. And then recently, I was listening to an interview with Dan Restrepo, who was Obama's head of Western of the Western Hemisphere, which is a fucking awesome job. <laughs> <laughs> so be like, I'm in charge of the Western Hemisphere. Didn't know that existed, but uh, that is interesting. Neither, it's a nice, nice title to put on a business card. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, but he was talking about uh, Colombia. And we, we both read uh, a little bit about Colombia uh, and its history there. But he was talking about how because of the way that the mountains meet there in Colombia, it creates uh, these, these topographical, because of just their mountain ranges, boundaries between the hinterlands of the country and the capital, which has made it really difficult for the country to politically uh, effectively rule over the entire country, which has made it a lot easier for uh, for cartels and then FARC and then all these uh, conflicts to happen. And now I feel like I've gone from continent to country, and now in my own life I'm trying to analyze it in community, you know? Uh, and that's just, yeah, I think that it does ultimately have a really uh, profound impact. And I definitely agree that it's not, it's not all negative. It's definitely really, really positive. Uh, in some, in in many uh, aspects, um, I know during the beginning of my service here, we were unfortunately the community was struck by a really tough, uh, uh, sudden death mm-hmm. of, a, of a young girl in my community, um, and it was it was really uh, it was really sad. Uh, but one of the most amazing things that I saw was there's the tradition of the novena here where everyone in the community, literally everyone, goes to the family's house and stays outside their house for nine days, essentially, day and night. They'll stay throughout the night. And it was incredible watching how this community, because it is so, it is enclosed in certain ways, and there is just so much connection between them, that they all showed up, and everyone was there to support this family in their time of sorrow. Um, and that's one of the one of the greatest examples of of just community in its in its best sense that I've seen being down here. Yeah, that's amazing, and I think um, enviable. Um, in that, I think in the United States where we're from, individuality is emphasized, a lot. emphasized and glorified, mm-hmm. and there's less. And community being a team player is less so emphasized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's definitely that idea, uh, which uh, of of bringing community back to the U.S. is a perfect segue of what aspects of that close knit community that you've been able to to become a part of in in Los Trotos. Um, something is crawling on my roof right now, um, and then also. Uh, what aspects of the friendships and what you've witnessed with kind of, especially, I mean, with the close-knit families, but also with the, specifically with the tight-knit male friendships uh, down here, what aspects of that are you going to try and bring back to the U.S.? 
Well, aspects of it, I'm not, sh I'm not sure what specific aspects I'm going to bring back, but I'm definitely going to bring back an appreciation, another level of appreciation for friends and family. Um, and like I, I referenced earlier, learning a, learning a hard lesson about appreciating family mm -hmm. and being down here has just added another aspect to that and um, realizing how important those people are in my life and they're really um, I, life without those relationships is is not great it's <laughs> it, life is so much more magnified or multiplied like uh, positive feelings by the relationships that you have and that and appreciating those relationships and really making the effort to invest in those relationships um, and making sure those people understand that you appreciate them is important so that I'm going to try to go back home and, and make sure that the people in my life feel that way, feel appreciated. That, yeah, I think that's a really great lesson to take back. Absolutely. I think it also, it ties back to the beginning of our conversation where having that, having that family there, having that bedrock of, of comfort and positivity there, uh -huh. it makes when you have to go through uh, failure alone, having that bedrock there, and even if they're not there with you, but just ha knowing that they're in the world there, and knowing that you have that waiting for you is makes it really helpful, uh, and makes the process a lot less painful and a lot <laughs> and a lot better. So helpful, yeah. That, that's another, yeah. Definitely making sure that the people understand that I care about them, and also make sure that they know that I'm there to support them, mm -hmm. and that you're serving that same role for them. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly, and. I've noted this a couple times in letters back to friends and family that I, I'm not sure I could have done the Peace Corps um, without the support that I've had from my friends and family back home. It's, it was amazing. It made, the, it made it so much easier. I'm not, I know there are people here um, that don't have um, that same support system, and I'm really impressed. That they were able to do it, but I always felt a whole bunch of support, even though maybe the people didn't understand why I was going. I always knew that they would, um, they were encouraging and without that, question, without question, yeah. exactly, even without understanding. But it was something that I wanted, and they were going to be able to, they were going to be there to help me out, and I want to make sure that. If they want to challenge themselves, or I'm, they always are challenging themselves, but if they want to take a, a big, bigger risk, um, that they know that I'll be there to provide the same service that they provided me. Yeah. I think it ultimately boils down to like a mutual faith. Exactly. You know? Like they, they trust you and they don't need to necessarily completely understand it. And in that same way, like you'll provide that same trust in them. Exactly. And then, and that just, helps the community and helps growth and helps people be bolder and try new things and, and become their best selves, become yeah. their best selves in, a, in an individual way. I think it's, 
it's funny that like going back to being a team player and a group member can bring the best out in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that teamwork allows like individual growth in a way that you wouldn't maybe initially expect. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you come back home where you're going back home pretty soon with this new uh, hoping to bring back this positivity, uh-huh. this this amity, amity and intimacy back to your friends and family. What is next for you back in the U.S.? What are your plans? Well, what is a, a summer uh, on the third coast? This is what's, <laughs> this is what's up. <laughs> the what's beautiful, up? sunny third coast of America. It is. Um, I've got a couple weddings to go to, which I'm excited about, and hopefully get to see a whole bunch of friends and family. Um, looking as far as like professional, uh, it's it's still uh, up in the air, but maybe um, looking at law school, looking at different job opportunities, and I've got I've got dreams and aspirations. Oh, yeah, that I. Uh, I think my friends and family are going to support me through, and they've already expressed support. So I'm still a big proponent of Nick Cavello, politician of Michigan, representing America's third coast. Well, maybe one day we can get you elected. One day soon, <laughs> hopefully. I'd be lying if I said that it hasn't been an aspiration of mine for some time. Nice, <laughs> nice. Good to hear that. <laughs> And get that recorded <laughs> on a podcast as well. It's official. Nice. Nick Cavello, 20, 20-something, 20 2018, 2020? We'll soon find out. We will soon find out, but I would love to represent my friends and family and um, yeah, try to support my community as best I can. Yeah. Um, and bring people together, like we talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah, about absolutely. Connecting people. And I think that same way that you've spoken about uh, having that support of your family while you've been down here, I think when you're back in the U.S., seeing how close uh, you've become with your community and seeing really the positive uh, friendships and bonds that you form down there, you'll have the full support of Los Chodos Panama behind you, whatever you do in the U.S. And I do mean that sincerely. I mean, they they are 100% behind you, which is awesome to see. It has been a pleasure to spend the last two years with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last question for you is, what has been the hardest that you have laughed down here in Panama? Oh, man. The hardest that I've laughed. Oh, you pulled one on me. (laughs) The hardest I've laughed. Oh, I've laughed hard. Yeah. Many times. We've laughed hard many times. You got to help me out. You got to give me an example of yours. Or if you can remember a time where we laughed hard together. I'll give I'll give one and then you gotta give one. Definitely. I'm not gonna let you off the hook. No, no, I don't expect to. But I think one of my <laughs> one of the funniest moments I've had down here, which was specifically you're you're included in this, is we went out to uh, a byway in Los Uveros, uh-huh. uh, which is pretty far away, um, 
and it's it's pretty far out in the in the boondocks. But we went out there because my host brother here in La Bonga is he's many things, but one of the he, things, is, <laughs> he, is, he is many things. But one thing, a jack of some traits, a, <laughs> a jack of a few traits. Um, but one thing that he is is a great uh, Panamanian guitarist. Uh-huh. So he was playing the cantadera uh, at this baile, and he invited us to go out there with him. Uh-huh. So we went out there, and my host brother, who I I wouldn't say he drinks all the time, but I would say when he does drink, he goes. 100% <laughs> all the way for it. Uh, and he continued to, while playing guitar, drink from a bottle of Secco, which is essentially, Secco, for our listeners, is uh, fermented cane juice. It's, it's kind of like white rum, I guess is what you call it. But yeah, yeah. it's like, it's, it's pretty strong. It's as strong as, as rum, vodka. It's the hard liquor of choice down here. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was ripping shots of Secco, Throughout his throughout his performance, at some points it appeared as if he was going to fall asleep and fall <laughs> off stage as he was playing guitar, uh, and we we were both laughing at that. And then it culminated, and finally we're out here in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden this one dude comes up to me, a guy that I've never met before, and he says, "Hello, do you speak English?" <laughs> so I start talking with him in English, and it turns out that he's a student studying English. Uh, and his English is kind of broken, but uh, he, he really wanted to speak in English, so I was having a, a pretty basic conversation with him. And we talked for, you know, like five minutes. And then afterwards, I say, okay, well, I'll see you later. And I shake his hand, and my host brother, just absolutely shit-faced, <laughs> comes up to me, puts his arm around me, goes, he goes, who is that guy? I go, oh, he was just this guy, he wanted to, uh, <laughs> he wanted to speak English with me. And, I, and he goes, did he speak English well? And I go, you know, so-so. And then he just looks me dead in the eyes. He goes, you want me to fight him? <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> Why? Because he doesn't speak English perfectly. But, yeah, that that was a, a pretty funny moment. And a pretty solid highlight for us. It was. Yeah. I think, well, we've had, we have many uh, inside jokes, I would say, that I could reference. Um, goat, goat, soup, all these things. Yeah. Yes, but I'm gonna. I guess this popped into my head, so I'm gonna go with it. Is I went to go get a haircut when we first got down here, and we're in our training community. Um, so I, I went and got a haircut by myself, and I have been a constant theme over the past two years has been my struggle with the <laughs> Spanish language. And this is, there have been many gaffes along the way. And this was probably one of the first ones and best ones, uh, which I'm not sure will come through on this, in this storytelling manner. But, um, so I'm sitting there trying to have a conversation with these guys and I want to ask them how long they've been working at, <laughs> at this place. And then I ended up saying was, how long have we been working here? <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of looked at me quizzically and um, they said, well, I think you guys have been here about a hundred years. 
<laughs> so it didn't quite set in. I was confused by the answer, but upon reflection, I realized that we were right next to the canal, and they, they were saying that we, the Americans, had been working on the canal for a hundred years. So I didn't get my question answered, but I had a good hard laugh afterwards, and. Still probably the best haircut I've ever had. Shout out to the dudes in Nuevo Empanador <laughs> yeah. on the side of the road. Great hair. They cut hair in the in an old broken down train car. Yeah, that's true. It was a train car. Yeah. What a great atmosphere to get your hair cut in. That's a great... How long How long have we been working? <laughs> <laughs> uh, roughly a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Nick, thank you so much for... Uh, joining me today for this uh, episode of Peace Corps Panel Files uh, and for a fucking great conversation. I think we covered a lot of good stuff and had some good laughs in between. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I appreciate uh, the invite. Oh, absolutely. This, this podcast would not be complete without an interview with <laughs> you. So. We're going to keep the laughs going. Yeah. Off there. We'll we'll go hunt down some sloths and eat some pizza. <laughs> Better check your backpack first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>